Father, we, our soul does magnify you, O Lord. In circumstances that are broken and unthinkable and horrible in our world, in this thing that we call the kingdom of man, we still can look up to the skies and say, my soul doth magnify the Lord because you have done great things. And one day, Lord, one day, soon we believe, you will break through the eastern sky and you will come to this planet and you will make all things new. We magnify the name of the Lord. Father, may your presence, your very real presence, be with all of those in Connecticut and all of their families and all of their loved ones, all their teachers. Lord, even the the family of this young man who did this terrible deed. Lord, we pray that you would be near every one of them. You have promised that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Father, be near to the brokenhearted. Be near to those who call upon the name of the Lord. Father, be near to them. Lord, we also would ask that you would be near to Ken Tonkinson, our brother in Christ. Lord, be with him and Gloria, Scott and Karen and the children, Greg and all of the family father as they uh, are with their father and grandfather and pray that you would touch his body, heal him quickly. Lord, we also lift up our team of wonderful servants who are up in Dilcon, Arizona today doing ministry with our Navajo friends. Pray that you would use them in a powerful way that the Spirit of God would anoint them and that that worship service that's going on right now would literally lift voices to the sky. And Father, I know that there are other needs in our congregation. And I pray, Lord, for those who are suffering from physical ailment. I know a lot of people are sick today, Lord. Those who have uh, injuries, those, Father, who have diseases, those who have marriages that are broken, families that are shattered, jobs that are no longer, Lord, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, be near to them. Because in spite of all of the circumstances that this world has to offer, this little kingdom, we can magnify the name of the Lord and rejoice in Him. And we do today, Father, we rejoice in You, our Lord and Savior. And we pray these things in the precious and the holy name of Jesus Christ, who lives and lives for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, before uh, the Word of God today, I would like to offer you a Christmas gift, and that is from uh, some of the teenagers in our church. Let's take a look.
Oh, let's uh, pray. Father, now as we open the word of God, we pray that you would open our hearts uh, and just not only open them, but fill them with joy. And we're thankful, Father, that on this day that we celebrate your son, that we can truly be filled with joy from above. Bless us now, Father, to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know how many of you dads out there have pajamas like Cody, Mario Brothers pajamas uh, on the dad. I've never seen that before, but uh, thanks to our teenagers for sharing that with us today. Uh, It's really uh, wonderful to have the kind of youth that we have in our church, and it's uh, just a real blessing to see that. Well, this morning, the gift that we're looking at is the gift of joy. I came across a collection of letters that children wrote to Santa Claus. A couple of them I thought were really cute. Let me share them with you. One said, Dear Santa, you did not bring me anything good last year. You did not bring me anything good the year before that. This is your last chance, signed Alfred. I'm not sure if you want to give Santa an ultimatum, but that's what Alfred did. And then my favorite letter to Santa is this. Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live in our house. There is Jeffrey, he is two. There is David, he is four. And there is Norman, he is seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. But Norman is good all of the time. Love, Norman. And uh, that's the letter from, from Norman. We want to welcome you to the uh, third week in our series that we've entitled Christmas Gifts. And we base this on uh, a wonderful passage in Romans chapter 5 that lists about 12 things that God wants to give us in Jesus Christ. And so what we've done is taken some of those gifts that God wants to give to us, and we're talking about those during the month of December, the four weeks of Advent, and then on Christmas Eve, I will be looking as, at one of those gifts as well. So we'd like to welcome you here today uh, to Christmas Gifts. Now, last Sunday, we looked at the gift of, uh, uh, the first Sunday, we looked at the gift of God's peace, peace with God and peace within us. And then last Sunday, we looked at the gift of God's presence. How is it possible that we can stand before a holy God? When we are sinful and broken, how is it possible that we can stand before a holy God? The Bible told us last week it's because of Jesus who puts his hand in the hand of the Father and he reaches down and puts his other hand in the hand of a sinner and he connects us to our Heavenly Father. We're so grateful and so thankful that we can stand in his presence. And I want to read this morning the passage that talks about joy And it connects us with last week's text, but it's found in Romans chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 in the New Living Translation. And here now is the Word of God. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. We looked at that last week. Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. And you say, what is that undeserved privilege? Where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can confidently and joyfully stand in the presence of God because of what Jesus has done. And then verse 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. 
The gift of joy is the gift that your heavenly Father wants to give you this morning. And when we talk about joy, we always think of the Christmas story. And uh, one of the passages in the Christmas story is from Luke chapter 2, as you would expect. And this is what happened on that first Christmas. The angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you the most wonderful, joyful news ever announced. And it is for everyone. Today, our Savior was born. He is Christ the Lord. Give glory to God in heaven and on earth. Let there be peace among the people who please God. Now, when you read the Christmas story, you see that there is all of this joy surrounding the event. In fact, if you look in the Gospels, you find all of the joy surrounding it. Let me give you some examples. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah was told by the angel, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. And that was when the prophecy of Jesus Christ the Messiah was coming to pass. In Luke 1.44, John the Baptist leaped for joy in his mother's womb. As John was conceived in Elizabeth, he leapt for joy when they heard the news of the Savior. In Luke 147, Mary rejoiced in God her Savior. In Luke 158, they were rejoicing with Elizabeth. And in Luke 2.10, the angel proclaimed glad tidings of great joy. But it's not just the Christmas story where we find joy. We find joy, in fact, the word joy and rejoice is used 650 times in the Bible. 650 times in the Bible the word joy is used. Let me give you some examples. The psalmist said... God wants us to rejoice, shout for joy, and be joyful. The psalmist said in Psalm 43, the psalmist calls for his exceeding joy. And then in Job chapter 8, he will fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. Now think about that. Job probably had the most difficult time of any human being that has ever lived. He lost his wealth, he lost his wife, he lost his children, he lost everything you could possibly want. And in the midst of that, Job said, he will fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy. We we pray that the people in Connecticut will one day be able to say along with Job that their hearts are filled with joy once again. Matthew 25, heaven is called the joy of the Lord. Acts 13, the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, this kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. And Galatians 5, the joy joy is the fruit of the Spirit. And I think God would say after all of these verses, and this is just a few of them, He would say to Hope Covenant Church, are you getting the message? <laughs> Do you understand the importance of joy? Joy is not a feeling. Joy is an experience with the one who is joy. Joy is not based on circumstances. Joy is based on a deep, abiding presence of God who is majestic in all of His ways. A God who loves and lavishes His grace upon His creation. Joy is not based on the circumstances of life or death on this blue rock. It is based on living in the kingdom of God knowing full well that our future is secure in Christ Jesus. That is joy. Now, sometimes around Christmas time, if you go to the mall, and I try to avoid it like the plague, you go to the mall, uh, it's supposed to be a wonderful time. You remember I talked a couple weeks ago about Black Friday, 
and how as uh, everybody was singing about peace, you know, uh, guys were duking it out in Kmart, you know, and, and all of that. Well, if you go to the mall, it's not much better today. Uh, I was there for a little bit last week looking for something for Sherry, and, and you would think it's a joyful time of the year. The music's playing in the Chandler Mall, but the people aren't getting it. I mean, they're grumpy, and they're mad, and they're upset, and they're spending money they don't have, and it's just kind of terrible. It, uh, Christians sometimes can be very dumpy and grumpy, and I don't think that's pleasing to God at all, especially at Christmas time. When our daughter was a little girl, she's uh, not anymore. She's a mother of three, but when she was a little girl, uh, she, her favorite stuffed, stuffed toy was uh, Winnie the Pooh. She loved Winnie the Pooh, and she had her little Winnie the Pooh doll until she was, uh, until the thing wore out. I think she was a teenager when she finally got rid of it, but Winnie the Pooh was her favorite. And every night she would want to, we'd read her a Bible story, but then she'd say, let's read Winnie the Pooh one more time. And she'd want to watch Winnie the Pooh movie. And, and, and it, was, it was okay with me because I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a Winnie the Pooh guy. I mean, I, 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 I kind of resonate with, with, with Tigger. You know, I'm, I've always been enthusiastic. I've always been, you know, I'm, I'm kind of uh, opportunistic. And I just kind of like life. And, and when I was younger, not anymore, I was bouncy. And, uh, you know, I was Tigger. And I was, but too many Christians are Eeyore right? Eeyore said, I shouldn't be surprised if it hailed tomorrow, blizzards and whatnot. Being fine today doesn't mean anything. It, is, it has no sig, sig... What's that word? Oh, why bother? Well, it has none of that. I mean, too many Christians are Eeyore-like when God wants us to be filled with joy. He wants us to be bouncy like Tigger. So here's the early take-home. God wants you to be filled with joy now, Christmas Day, and every day. He doesn't want you to be an Eeyore. He wants you to be tiggerfied. He wants you to be bouncing. He wants you to experience the joy of the Lord. Now, what is joy biblically? In the Old Testament, the word joy means, literally, dance, leap or spin, leap or spin around in pleasure. Dance, leap or spin around in pleasure. That was joy or rejoicing in the Old Testament. Wednesday night, we had our children's program. Many of you were here. The church was full. It was wonderful. The kids were awesome. And as, but sometimes when the kids were supposed to sing a song, Pastor Bard had them learn. Some of the kids were singing and doing the motions. Other kids were dancing and leaping or spinning around with great pleasure. They were supposed to be doing that, but they were doing it anyway. They were filled with joy. And there's something about children that makes you filled with joy. But that's the Old Testament, what it means. The New Testament has a different nuance. New Testament means, the word joy means celebration. And it means celebrating the difference between circumstances and real joy. Now, happiness is based on circumstances. When things are good, when you have money in the bank, when your marriage is good, when there's no shootings in kids' schools anywhere, when all the circumstances are going good, you feel good, and that's called happiness. But the word, the, the word happiness, by the way, is only used a couple of times in the Bible. The word joy is used 650 times. The word joy is not based on circumstances. The word joy is based on your standing with God. Your right standing with God. If you can stand tall before the Lord because Christ has made a way, if you can stand before Him with your heart clean, your mind pure, and God looks at you through Jesus Christ, you have standing with God that will last for all eternity. That is what joy is. 
Joy is recognizing not your circumstances, but your future is secure in Christ Jesus. That is the joy of the Lord. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that he wants you to be gloomy or eeyore or depressed. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning, the psalmist wrote. Christmas is about declaring joy to the world. The Lord has come. In the world, in my life, I don't want to be an Eeyore. I want to be a Tigger. I want Christmas to fill me with joy, but not just Christmas, but every day that I live my life, every breath I take, I want it to be a breath of joy because the Lord is alive in me and I will live forever. Now that's joy. This morning I want to look at this word joy and I'll I'll do it because of our time this morning. I want to do it as an acrostic. And uh, I want to say that if you want joy, you need to just ask for it. A-S-K. So let's look at that. Um, It's acrostic. Ask. A means accept the gift of joy. Accept the gift. The angel said, I bring you the most joyful news ever announced. He wants you to be joy-filled. God is not some cosmic killjoy waiting to get you or make your life miserable. A lot of people think faith and boredom go together. That, to me, that's tragic. I mean, a lot of churches, not our church, but a lot of churches start sharp, 11 a.m. sharp, and end 12 p.m. dull. And if you start church sharp and you end dull, there's something wrong with church, okay? We need to not leave this place dull. We need to leave this place with the joy of the Lord. I think the misconception of God is that uh, He doesn't want you to smile. Can you imagine, let's say, for those of you who are parents, you can relate to this. Um, I'm a grandparent now, but I've also been a parent. And, and uh, if, if my son, when he was younger, had have come up to me and said, Dad, um, I love you, and I want to be the best boy I can possibly be. And uh, I want to live for you, Dad. I want to do everything you want me to do. I, w- I want to do everything that's right. And if my son or my daughter said that to me, how do you think I'd respond? You think I'd respond by saying, okay, now I'm going to test this and see if you're really sincere. I'm going to put you in the corner, feed you spinach, make you do math, break your toys, and just make your life miserable. Then we'll see if you're really, you know, if you really want to do what I ask you. And how much more God? Why do we think God would do that? If we come to God and say, God, I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want to be, I want to be the best I can be. How do you, th- you think God's out looking for you to be miserable? He wants to give you joy. He wants to give you the joy of the Lord that is deep within your soul. God says, I have come to give you great news of great joy. I came to give you life abundantly, John 10.10. 10. Not just life, but life abundantly, life that is teeming, life that spills out. When you accept the gift of joy, you're accepting His forgiveness. I mean, your burden of sin has been lifted. When you accept the gift of joy, you're accepting His peace. You are no longer at enmity with God. When you accept the gift of joy, you're accepting His his hope. Your future is secure. And when you accept the gift of joy, you're accepting His grace to live every day knowing that you are loved by the Father. Accept the gift of joy. Now the second letter in our acrostic is an S. And this is really important because we don't see it a lot sometimes among Christ followers. 
S stands for speak the words of joy. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, proclaim, we must proclaim our love and thanksgiving out loud. Okay? Count your blessings. Name them one by one. We used to sing that song. Now, I want to give you, I gave the first service too long. It seemed like an eternity. I said 10 seconds. I'm going to give you six seconds to come up with three blessings. Now, if you can't come up with three blessings in six seconds, there's something wrong with you. Okay, think of it in your mind. Three blessings, and I'll give you six seconds beginning now. There, six seconds is up. Okay, now I want you to say those three blessings out loud on the count of three. One, two, three. That was so pathetic. <laughs> up here, I could hear Brian go, family, la 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 Okay, we're going to do it again. This time, do it with what? Joy. Okay, that time you did it like Eeyore. Do it like Tigger. On the count of three, three blessings out loud and make it loud. One, two, three. Okay, Brian, you kind of went overboard that time, but, that, but I appreciate the effort. Those are blessing bursts. There's a tremendous value in vocalizing our joy. This, this is one of the great quotes you're going you're gonna to hear. Uh, I'll put it up on the screen so you can read along with me. Listen to this. C.S. Lewis writes, But the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything strangely escaped me. C.S. Lewis was talking about how that he had not really understood praise or joy. And he goes on. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. Think about that. All enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. I had not noticed that the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious minds praised most while the cranks, are some of you listening to me? The cranks, misfits, and malcontents praise the least. Listen to this. Praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. Isn't that beautiful? Also, praise not only merely expressed, but completes the enjoyment. It is appointed consummation. Inner health made audible. Lewis goes on. An intangible relationship exists between the body and the soul. Sometimes the health of the inner soul can heal a sick body. And sometimes the body can bring the soul into a state of blissful happiness. The act of rejoicing, praising, or giving thanks with our mouths may serve to express the joy of our hearts, but it may also relieve the sorrow of a troubled act and replace it with joy. The demonstration of our faith through acts of rejoicing transforms our feelings. C.S. Lewis said. He wrote that 60 years ago. And it's still true today. Some of us go like this say, okay, if I feel happy, I'll act happy. In other words, emotions lead to motions. C.S. Lewis says, do it the opposite. Let motion lead to emotion. You act happy. You praise God. You count your blessings. Even if you don't feel like it, and that will lead to the emotion. Motions lead to emotions. Speak the words of joy. Richard Foster echoed this uh, when he wrote these words. Joy begets joy. Laughter begets laughter. Is one of those things in life we multiply by giving. Isn't that beautiful? The more we rejoice, 
the more we want to rejoice. So some of you curmudgeons out there, some of you bah humbugs, start rejoicing, even if you don't feel like it. So accept the gift of joy, speak the words of joy, and the K, silent K of course, the K, know the God of joy. Why do we think we need Santa at Christmas to help us be merry and joyous? Now, wait, don't for a minute think I'm going to bash Santa. I love Santa Claus. And you'll never hear Santa bashed in this church. You'll have to go to a different church if you want that. I love Santa Claus. But I think it's because we have a flawed understanding, not of Santa. We understand him pretty well. We have a flawed understanding of Jesus. The first reaction to Jesus' presence on earth was joy. God in our midst kind of joy. Tigger joy. Joy so tremendous, so utterly overwhelming that earth could not contain it. The angels, the shepherds, the magi, nothing could contain the joy of the Lord. In John Ortberg's a wonderful book, This Life You've Al- The Life You've Always Wanted, he writes these words. And I want you to listen to these words. They're really awesome. We will not understand God until we understand this about him. God is the happiest being in the universe. Let me read that again. We will not understand God until we understand this about him. God is the happiest being in the universe. God knows sorrow. Jesus is remembered, among other things, as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But the sorrow of God, like the anger of God, is a temporary response to a fallen world. Anger and sorrow are a temporary response to a fallen world. That sorrow will be banished forever from his heart on the day the world is set right. Joy is God's basic character. God is the happiest being in the universe. I wonder if you've ever thought of God that way. I mean, we think of God as a judge. We think of God as a hammer. We think of God as all-knowing, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipotent. All of those things are true. But most of all, God is the happiest being in the universe. And do you know what makes God the happiest of all? A relationship with his creation. The reason he created you and me is so that he could have a meaningful relationship that would cause great joy in the heart of God. The Bible tells us that he has literally set his heart upon you. In other words, he pursues you. He chases you. He has set his heart upon you. There's only been a couple of people in my life that I've truly set my heart upon. One of those, of course, was Sherry. When I met her in the spring of 1970, I set my heart upon her. And I did things that were... Today I think about it and I said, you put a gun to my head and I wouldn't do that again. I used to talk on the phone for two hours and she was like two miles from my house. And you know, those of you that know me know I'm not a phone guy, you know. I just barely have a phone. And, and here, and, and, but I had set my heart upon that girl. I would do anything to win her. And you know how long it took me to win her? Ten days. Ten days. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Ten, if she's listening in the kitchen, ten days. And, but I, I set my heart on her, and I would not give up, and I would not quit. And to this day, I have still not quit. And, and if, if a week 
man like me can do that? How much more God? He has set his heart on you. He will not let you go. He will not let you drift away. I was talking to a mom this morning. Her son is involved in drugs and all kinds, and is breaking her heart. And I told her, I said, God will not let that boy go. Don't you give up. God will not let him go. I remember when he was in this church as a child and a teenager. God will not let him go. God has set his heart upon you. That's why God wants to know you personally. That's why God wants you in his life, because he has set his heart upon you. You say, well, I can see that if I were, if I were a better person. You know, if I were all cleaned up and shiny and bright and sinless, and, and I had my stuff together, I had my act together and all of that, and I, I, then I could see God love me. No, 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 no. You don't understand something. God has set his heart upon you just the way you are. Romans 5.8 makes this very clear. But God showed his great love for us. By sending Christ to die for us, while, say it with me out loud, while we were yet sinners. I'll tell you why God doesn't wait for you to clean your life up. Because you've shown Him that you can't possibly do it. You can't possibly clean up your life. You've tried a thousand times. You've tried to do the right thing a thousand times. You've tried, you've tried. You can't do it. And God says, I'm not waiting for you to clean your life up because you can't do it. But I'll do it for you. I've set my heart upon you. I am the hound of every man. I will dog you until the day you die. That's how much I love you. See, God's joy is found in finding a lost son or a daughter and bringing them back. Finding one who is broken or lonely. Finding these these families, these parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters in Connecticut that are so angry and sad and broken and bewildered and finally somehow showing them that his love is set upon them. That's what God has called us into a relationship with him. You all know the story of the prodigal son. Luke 15. It's well documented. It's, in fact, more non-Christians know that story than any other story in the Bible. I don't know if you knew that. It's just a story that makes sense. And the story uh, of the prodigal son, and you know it, is that the boy took half of his father's wealth, went off, spent it foolishly with his tail between his legs. He came back to his father hoping for a job, but never hoping for grace or love, just hoping for a job. And the Bible says when he was coming back, the father saw him from a great distance, went out, and literally the text says he wrapped his arms around him and wouldn't let him go. And he lavished his love upon his son. Couldn't stop kissing him. Now, some of us would say as parents, and I've done this too, well, you know, my kid needs to, he needs to make amends. He needs to pay back what he owes. You know, and we, I know consequences are important all those things. But we don't see that in the prodigal son. We see a father who simply says, you know what? You were lost. And now you're found. I mean, we'll figure the rest out. We'll figure the money part out. We'll figure the job part out. We'll figure the brother part out. But you're found. And I have set my heart on you. I have set my heart on you in such a way that I will never again let you go. You see, when you enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that is the most joy-filled experience in the world. In fact, in in Luke 15, after this boy came back to his father, here's what the Bible says in verse 10. In the same way, after talking about the son, in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. You know why? 
because he's, he's set his love upon you. He has set his love hard upon you, and he will never let you go. When you enter a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that's when you experience joy. That has nothing to do with circumstances. Joy, because joy is in the heart of God.